Welcome to Zero Knowledge. I'm your host, Anna Rose. In this podcast, we will be exploring the latest in zero knowledge research and the decentralized web, as well as new paradigms that promise to change the way we interact and transact online. This week, I chat with Ariel Gabizon. Ariel walks me through his Snark Trilogy concept, starting with Jens Grot's work in 2010 and moving through all of the different chapters of the history of Snarks. He highlights what he sees as the key moments and breakthroughs of the last 10 years. And while the exact boundaries of the three chapters are kind of defined as we went, it was a really interesting way to think about the history of Snarks. I also welcome you to share the way you would break down the Snark Trilogy, especially if it's different from the way that we did it. We wrap up on his new work around lookup tables and then chat about two emerging research streams, that of folding schemes and some check protocols. Now, before we kick off, I do want to direct you to the ZK Jobs Board. There you'll find jobs from top teams working in ZK. So if you're looking for your next job opportunity, be sure to check it out. And if you're a team looking to find great talent, be sure to add your job to the Jobs Board as well. I've added the link in the show notes. Now, Tanya will share a little bit about this week's sponsor. Anoma's first fractal instance, Namada, is launching soon. Namada is a proof-of-stake L1 for interchain asset-agnostic privacy. Namada natively interoperates with fast finality chains via IBC and with Ethereum via a trustless two-way bridge. For privacy, Namada deploys an upgraded version of the multi-asset shielded pool circuit, otherwise known as MASP, which allows all assets, fungible and non-fungible, to share a common shielded set. This removes the size limits of the anonymity set and provides the best privacy guarantees possible for every user in the multi-chain. The MASP circuit's latest update enables shielded set rewards directly in the shielded set, a novel feature that funds privacy as a public good. Follow Namada on Twitter, at Namada, to learn more, and join their community on Discord, discord.gg forward slash Namada. So thanks again, Anoma. And now, here's our episode. Today, I'm here with Ariel Gabizon. Welcome back to the show, Ariel. Thank you. Yeah, so nice being here three three times, being this exclusive, this exclusive <laughs> club of the yeah, three-timers. The three-timers. Yeah. Actually, I was just thinking before we started, the last time we got to record in person was in Split, Croatia. And here we are just down the coastline in Montenegro. It's kind of funny. We only seem to record in the Balkans in person. I don't know what's up. We've seen each other at conferences yeah, yeah. and stuff. Whenever <laughs> there's a pandemic ending, meet again in the Balkans, there record another episode. <laughs> but yeah, so it's great to actually get a chance to do this in person once again. And I know we had spoken a few weeks ago at the ZK Summit just afterwards. You were telling me that you were working on this like new generation of pairing-based protocols, and it would be a really good time to have you back on. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. So so I have this uh, sort of cheesy Star Wars uh, metaphor okay. or analogy, or I don't know the difference between metaphors and analogies, Okay. Uh, of the last decade or so of pairing-based snarks. So, so this is the history all the way to the new work that you're doing. The history of pairing-based snarks all the way to the new work that I'm, I'm working on now. Um, Does it have a name, the new one? Or is this still like untitled? 
Well, it, I'm I'm going to title it, but let me uh, okay. Let me title. Let me. We start. don't want to give it I away. Have, okay, okay. I have uh, <laughs> just wait a few minutes. Yeah. Right. So, so here's my yeah. So here's how I've I've been describing it lately. The the pairing based uh, Snarks trilogy. So the first chapter that mm-hmm. began in 2010, A New Hope, uh, <laughs> just for Snarks, not for like life or humankind or anything, okay. uh, was started by uh, Jens Grot in 2010 uh, in this paper where he was saying, uh, look, we have these wonderful things called pairings. And back then, uh, snarks were exclusively constructed by these relatively complicated things called PCPs, these very powerful, complicated things that, you know, sci- you know tangent, that's what led to Starkware. Uh, oh. and, uh, and he was saying, look, we have these really cool things called pairings. And if we use them, we can get snarks with constant proof length that we like very much. Uh, we can not use the random oracle model, something practitioners don't care about, but theoreticians liked, liked very much. And like an, an anecdote that Jens, uh, Jens Krat tells is that this, this paper was rejected uh, three or four times from conferences. But this is not... The Groth 16 paper, this, right? This is not. I'll, I'll, okay, this is the Groth 10? This is the Groth 10. Okay, I don't think I know so, this one. So Jens, he, uh, he's both the, the, the starter and the, the finisher of this first chapter. So, Interesting. So basically this chapter uh, started with, with Groth 10. The reason, uh, by the way, this paper, I think, was not accepted first. It, it uses this powerful cryptographic assumption, the deep power knowledge of exponent that then people were like uncomfortable with, but now we're just using all the time. We're using mm. even something stronger, the algebraic group model, which is actually a strengthening of the deep power knowledge of exponent. Were they, uh, were they scared of it because they didn't know if it was secure or was it just like novel? Uh, I mean, right, that's a matter of, I think both, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, it was both novel and like pretty much all crypto assumptions. We, we don't know if it's secure. Until it gets broken. And well, here, here is a very good argument against these types of assumptions and also against the algebraic group model. This mm-hmm. assumption is what's called a non-falsifiable assumption. So uh, discrete log assumption, uh, you, can, you can demonstrate it's false. You can like give an algorithm that computes discrete logs. Uh, these knowledge assumptions there there's no like easy way to demonstrate even that they're false they're standard cryptographic assumptions are about show saying you know this thing is hard uh you can't do it uh knowledge assumptions are more like saying uh you can do this but the only way you can you can do it is like in this way so Mm. it's it's kind of harder to to refute them and okay. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, uh, but also from the practitioner side, aside, Grot 10 had quadratic proof length, uh, which made it not too practical. But then the pivotal moment in this first chapter was the GGPR work that uh, introduced QAPs that were then sort of recasted as R1CSs. Oh. Uh, and this was this was really the pivotal moment. Uh, because it was saying, yeah, using just pairings, no, not this heavy machinery of the PCPs, uh, and also no random oracles that theoreticians don't don't like. Uh, we can get 
almost practical snarks. And the GGPR approach was refined first in the Pinocchio paper, mm -hmm. uh, finally leading to the paper we all know and love, Grot 16. So Jens Grot also started this chapter and ended it by giving the, the sort of the most optimized version of what you can do in, in the GGPR approach. Mm. Uh, yeah, so this was, this was very nice. This is still uh, book one. Right? This is chapter one. Chapter, chapter one. Chapter one. Yes. In, yeah. I'm mixing up the mythologies here. Okay. The, the, chapter one. What Harry Potter? <laughs> yeah. Or, I think I'm, right? or something I, yeah, else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If once we get to seven like yeah. uh, like chapters, like in 2040, we'll, I'll have a Harry Potter. Oh, okay. Like, uh, yeah. I I would normally so I actually my my story of all times is Buffy, so it'd actually be season one. But anyway. All right. <laughs> Different so <problem>. season, <laughs> season, season. No, I think two. we'll we'll stick with yours. <laughs> chapter uh, one. Chapter. Yeah. Okay. So this is the end of at the end of chapter one is Grot sixteen. Grot sixteen. Tell me, like, let's let's summarize that. Like, this became like the standard. Every team that was going to be building with Snarks would sort of tap into this. Would you say like most libraries started to be built around this tooling? Um. Well, uh, yes and no. Uh, I, I mean, one reason maybe why no was that the 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 time you know from Grot sixteen to when chapter two began was was not too large. But yes, Grot sixteen, yeah, you, I guess it became a standard, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, with with the caveat that you know, so right, there was this very annoying thing that you had to do a trusted setup per circuit. Oh, yes. So this is the big thing that makes protocols from this first chapter not totally convenient to, to use in, in practice. So so you have to like really, right? It's like, you, you know, you, you want to, you're thinking of seeing a movie. If it's easy, you know, you just go see it, even if it's not great, but you really have to, you really have to want to use snarks. Like you're, you're only going to use Grot 16 <laughs> if you're really sure yeah. you want to do it. It's not like, oh, I don't have, you know, other plans because uh, the, the doing the trusted sub per circuit is a huge uh, right. It's a huge logistical nightmare, which. And this in a way also maybe explains like going to a project you used to be part of uh, Zcash when when an upgrade, like the one snark, the trusted setup would happen. And then that was the snark that you were going to be using until another trusted setup would happen so that you could deploy a new one. Right. It was such a monumental feat to get yes, one of these yes. things launched that you could only do that. I don't know, once a year or yeah twice a year you couldn't do it like all the time yeah yeah, yeah. if if you want to encourage like uh, committed monogamous relationships with snarks the the trusted <laughs> setup per circuit has its maybe yeah maybe it has like it's not like ah you know i feel like you know changing this constraint today i don't feel like this circuit fits me anymore like yeah no you're committed you really you're in it. It really commit you <laughs> you're really you're really committed a few months to advance to the last like little equation you're really like yeah okay. this till death do us part or uh and yes but definitely people were, were looking for you know uh, something more convenient and you know this le leads us to the second chapter the polynomial commitment scheme strikes back so what this chapter sort of said is, well, pairings are great, uh, but if instead of trying to do everything with the pairing, we just limit our use of pairings to this one component, a polynomial commitment scheme, then suddenly we have a lot more flexibility. 
we can suddenly get a trusted setup that is universal. Um, so one trusted setup per all circuits of a certain size bound. This was the largest thing. And a, a second thing that is, has become very large, very, you know, big is that this exactly gives us the ability to do custom gates. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas in the, the first chapter, we were uh, confined to, uh, uh, restricted to R1CS uh, very inherently. Uh, the second chapter allows us to do custom gates. Basically. Can't you do custom gates in R1CS? Or is it just not a smart combination? Well, you know, I can give you any gate, or a gate is basically usually an equation. So, so you could always break that equation to a sequence of R1CS equations, oh. uh, right? But sort of your, your unit of cost is how many R1CS equations uh, are, is it going to take you to represent this equation? So if you were to do something like, I mean, a custom gate in R1CS is kind of possible, but would be clunky and slow. And you'd have to do many layers, I guess. Like you're, you only have the ads and the times is, although I think you do you also have only the, what is it? Add multiplication and addition in the polynomial commitment ones. Or uh, do you have more? Does like, when you talk about custom gates, basically, right. I'm just wondering if it like, what does it open up? Well, it's, it's really, it's really, it's all about the const. It's all about constants here. Uh, so the sort of the R1CS equation is always a sum times a sum equals a third sum. Okay. So, you know, for one thing, if I wanna, I have now something of degree three, like X times Y times Z equals W. I definitely cannot represent that in one R1CS equation. Ah, uh, I see. Right, because I, I only have degree two in um in r1cs so i'm, I'm gonna have to break it down to to two equations but you moved so instead though you moved away from the r1cs model towards plonkish arithmetization is this what takes over kind of from it uh yeah i hope yeah. i'm not front running the story a little <laughs> <laughs> oops uh no i mean, so pl plonkish arithmetization is yeah is basically uh part a big part of this of this second uh the second chapter uh i think people use the term plonkish arithmetization for a combination of custom gates and and what's called lookups mm -hmm. yeah and did the original plonk because i'm think chapter two, does it center around Planck in a way? Well, I would say actually the, the I mean, Planck is a big part of chapter two uh, and it has become, you know, maybe like Grot 16 became the standard for chapter one, Planck became the standard for chapter two. But I, I, I would say the, like, like GGPR was the pivotal moment of chapter one. I would say the sonic paper ah. was the pivotal moment of, of chapter two. Uh, I mean, at least for me uh, personally, you know, when I saw the sonic paper, it opened my eyes. It, 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 it was like, okay, we have suddenly a lot more uh, flexibility here. Yeah. Um, yeah. It that was, idea of the single trusted setup and then you wait for like until you're ready to do another one to make any sort of changes, that was corrected a little bit by sonics, right? All of a sudden yes. you could adjust, you could update this universal circuits you could do something without having to run a full trusted setup each time 
Yeah, yeah. So the snarks of this of this gener of this second generation of the second chapter, they have a setup that is the setup is universal and updatable. So it's one trusted setup per all circuits of a certain si size bound, like a top bound, a like top you, bound. Yeah. Do you, would you often like do? You still have to do a trusted setup, but do you do it as as large as you could? Yeah. So, so you, you could do cover it a as lot large. Of you choose a, a large size, and then after you've done that you can make snarks for any circuit up to that size. Got it. Right. As a side note, there is this work that maybe is sort of between these chapters, this uh, GKMMM work. It was the first work with a universal and updatable snark, but it didn't fall into this uh, template of a polynomial commitment scheme and a polynomial IOP like oh. the snarks of the second chapter. And it, this is really a, a, a tangent. This was like but, the bonus... Um, on the DVD, right? <laughs> bonus, yeah. bonus special yeah, yeah. features. This was, you okay. have to buy the extended. This was like <laughs> okay. chapter 1.5. Okay. So this, it did give you a universal setup. Uh, it had some efficiency like problems, but there it was really a setup per circuit size rather than size bound. I see. Uh, yeah. But, but that's really a, you know, a, 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 a side note. Yeah. And also the second property of, of these uh, setups that we have now is that they're also updatable, meaning that say, okay, you don't trust anyone that's participated so far. At any point, someone can just add add their randomness sort of to the setup. To the trusted setup. Yeah. Although even in practice, though, weren't the trusted setups still with the universal ones kind of gated? Like there was an end point. You would start the trusted setup and you would end the trusted setup before it launches, right? Like when you talk about adding randomness after, like you could, but do most of these circuits actually allow that? Um, well, I think in most production projects, it's true that there has been an endpoint. It's it's more maybe hypothetical that I mean, oh, yeah. it's not like a, uh, that. Yeah, the projects that are in production now, um, yeah, they they allow know, once you to in do two it months, They once in two months they like uh, oh we're adding this person yeah uh, to the yeah uh, there is one ex exception there is a really nice project perpetual powers of tau mm. that i think that's it's from the ef i think the, right i think it's i think it's from the ef uh, way j if i'm saying yeah. his name right he was i think the main although as i understand that that's just like an ongoing trusted setup to always kind of spit out these what is it srs's like these mm -hmm. so that you can if you're launching a project and want the trusted setup phenomenon you can just use that Right? Isn't it sort of like it's meant as sort of almost like a public good for yeah. snark projects so that they don't have to run their own setups? That's what I've always understood that as. It's like ongoing mm. forever, so you can just kind of click in. But I guess yeah. it, it probably is limited to like it's whatever like upper bound it's set for itself. And if your snark is higher, then you'd still have to run your own. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they set a relatively high bound, like it's, uh, I think it's two to the 27, uh, which I, I don't know if there's any circuits in practice that maybe the Filecoin circuit is a little larger than theirs. I think the, wasn't the Plumo one oh, huge? The Plumo, I worked on that oh, one. Oh, right. You know, so, that was, so you know As far as I me. know, that was like a massive one. <laughs> right, right. I don't, I don't know the size of that. Yeah. Maybe it exceeds the, yeah. But I'm not sure. Yeah. If Kobe was here, he could, he could report. Yeah. Um, but okay. So, but so going from Sonics, mm -hmm. what's the next step in the movie? In chapter two in or chapter what's two. chapter three? Yeah, not chapter three yet. Because okay. like, <laughs> is there anything between Sonics and Plonk? Is there anything in between? Wasn't like Marlin kind of between 
Um, I think Plonk and, Plonk and Marlin came out at a very similar time. Okay. So, yeah. So, so Sonic was the, I would say, the pivotal moment of this chapter. Uh, yeah, but, but Sonic was a relatively comp, especially if you wanted a, a succinct verifier, like a fast verifier. Uh, Sonic was relatively complicated mm -hmm. and yeah. And basically, um, half a year later, I think, or eight months later then you know, there was efforts to simplify it. And I think the main two papers that came out, uh, at similar time were, were Plonk and Marlin. Got it. I think yeah, Plonk came out a month before an e-print maybe, but similar time. Okay. They were both presented, I think at ZK Summit 4. I think that was when... That was the yeah. summer, the snark timber and the snark timber 2019. Yeah. 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 I think Plonk, Marlin, Halo, uh, Dark. Was Halo 1 already? I think Halo 1 was a little later, wasn't it? I thought that was like just after. Uh, it was a little, I mean, actually, I mean, uh, I think Plonk was first put on ePrint in August, but, oh. but it's, you know, snark timber. We like to say okay. it, well, it all happened in snark timber. <laughs> okay. And then ZK Summit was, I think, in September or October of that year. So it was like right after. That was a good ZK Summit. It was a yeah. small one, but it a was, great one. Like yeah. kind of legend. It was at a co-working space. Quality, not quantity. <laughs> yeah. 100 people. 20 people in a basement. Yeah. <laughs> well, 100 people, but yeah, it was pretty small. All right. But okay, so, <laughs> but I'm now I'm really curious, like where does chapter two end? Because since, like, so you mentioned Sonic, Plonk, Marlin come out around the same time, but Plonk is very much at least like a second beat in that movie. Like the world changed a little bit when Plonk came out, I think. Well, the, um, I mean, where the analogy is not perfect is that the, the chapters uh, overlap and, oh. and most, most people are, are still watching chapter two. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying to them, Hey, there's this really cool chapter three, but ah. they're not, um, it's, it's mostly just being a, just a few people. Okay. So chapter uh, two maybe was broken into two parts because it was too long. Production said we need to cut it in two. Let's say the part, right. Chapter two, part one ends with the <laughs> creation of Plonk. What happens after that? What happens after that? Um, Cause you I'm, have the look, the lookups, <laughs> you mentioned the lookup stuff. <laughs> Plonkish arithmetization has the custom gates, but also this lookup table. Yes. And you're saying like Plonk one, the Plonk paper was the introduction, was the real kind of find more just the custom gates. Was that the big innovation? Um, I would say it like this, the uh, Plonk, the biggest simplification there was uh, the permutation argument and also the ar arithmetization in Plonk uh, based on selector polynomials which by the way, was not, was not new. Uh, we were going to at some point get this whole, right. This whole subject of attri attribution. So the, the arithmetization in Planck is simpler than it is, uh, in Sonic. It's not totally original though. A lot of people attribute it to Planck. It's this selector based arithmetization that it already appears in this paper, of GKR paper called proof for muggles. One of the first sum check papers, uh, I mean, practical sum check papers. The sum check is from like 1990. Yeah, but the paper that, so sort of what happened was uh, Planck went back to this actually older arithmetization based on selector polynomials. So custom gates were not there explicitly. It was a little hinted, like uh, in, in, it was slightly hinted how, oh, if you play around with these selectors, you can get like a Boolean gate, you can get 
um, where selector polynomial, where like custom gates really like were like explicitly like uh, showed was in in the Turboplank paper. Ah, it's it's not a it's a it was like a proposal officially a proposal to to zk proofs. So, but there but you can think of it as a Turboplank paper. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, so that's where really the custom gates and their generality were uh, yeah were introduced. And then you did the lookup stuff though, the lookup. Right, and half a year later, uh, we came uh, we came with lookup. Yes. Well, I want to continue with your analogy. Where do you want to go with this with the story? Well, I, well, actually, I mean, I was going to go to chapter three, but uh, but but you saying that you know maybe this is chapter two so long that that it has we need two, a two parts. Point two. So so I would say wait, is the second one two so two point? We just is it two point zero and two point one. No no no, 2. it's two point one. Well it's, okay. Well, it's because right. it's like part one. So it's chapter so, two, part one ends with Plonk. Yes. And then chapter two, part two. So starts chapter, with all of the things that add to Planck. <laughs> so I would say, uh, I mean, these are not. I like, don't know why I'm sort of like using this. I like this analogy. I'm going with it. <laughs> let's spend 20 minutes talking. If it, we should start counting from zero yes. or one. It would be two points. <laughs> <laughs> no, the we're going to do part one, one, part two. Keep it like so. Movie right, style. and of course, there's a lot of overlapping because, in a sense, chapter 2.2, as I'm going to define it now. Uh, actually starts with Halo that was already in Snark Temper. Yes. But I would say chapter 2.2 is the whole subject of aggregation. Okay. The whole thing of like the classical uh, Snark scenario is you have one circuit, you're doing one proof for, and you want to optimize that. You want to make the prover fast, the verifier fast, the proof small. But usually it looks like the real scenario is you have a lot of proofs of the same circuit. Ah, all the same, but many of them. All the same, but many of them. Mm -hmm. So, uh, right? So this can happen in a roll-up where you have 1,000, 10,000 client proofs. And now, you, yes, now you want to prove that all these client proofs are correct. Um, maybe this sort of happens in like a, a recursively verified blockchain like Mina, where you're at every block, you're doing the same proof where the, the thing you're proving is a statement like, uh, I proved the pre previous thing. The pr <laughs> I proved the previous thing. The, uh, and the previous blocks are that I checked that all the previous blocks, the, their proof was correct. I checked the proof of the current block. And here's like a, 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 a proof. new proof. Here's a new proof. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the that that's actually when you say aggregation, I I immediately thought like how does that relate to recursion? Is recursion a form of aggregation? Um, or when you say yes. aggregation, do you mean somewhere else there's aggregation happening? Well, I mean, I by the word aggregation, um, I mean, I don't know if it's the maybe you could you could also look at a more general term like amortization. Uh, but I, when I say aggregation, I, I just think, okay, of this scenario that that what we don't have one proof for one circuit, we have ten thousand proofs of one circuit. What's the best way to do that? Given that th that that's our task, yeah, and it could be through recursion one after another, or batching and then a recursive proof, or these like newer ways of 
aggregating. Right, right. And also part of the part of the scenario here is we have usually is we have asymmetric um, resources, right? We have, for example, in a roll-up, we have um, weak client machines and, and one stronger machine that doesn't mind making more computation, doing more computation. Right. So so then, you know, this scenario is a little different and, you know, the, the considerations are, are a little different. Yeah. And I would say recursion is the, the most straightforward uh, thing you, you can do in, in this scenario. So, yeah. So recursion is saying, okay, do your, uh, your proof and also like prove inside your proof that like uh, the, the previous proofs were, or were totally correct. But then, uh, especially in this context where you have maybe one stronger machine and many weaker machines, people started thinking and I mean, this this happened before in simple scenarios, but the, maybe the paper that brought this most to like the to highlight this was, was the Halo paper is like uh, saying, well, I mean, our end goal is to verify, say, these ten thousand proofs, but maybe it's an overkill of doing ten thousand steps, where in step I, I fully verify the I minus one proof or the one to I minus one proofs. Maybe we can, yeah, we can delay, you know, like if we look at the total work needed to verify these 10,000, cause like straight for like straight uh, vanilla recursion to verify 10,000 proofs and, and put that in one proof, you're doing a full verification inside a circuit 10,000 times. Okay. So yeah. So. Uh, what I think Halo highlighted was saying, okay, if our end goal is to verify these 10,000 proofs, maybe there's a, a way to do that where the total work is smaller. Did they and, just like hash them together? <laughs> like, could you just somehow combine them and not have to do each one? Well, so yeah, so exactly. So so that's kind of what people are, are trying to do. Maybe um, hashing is the wrong word here, but like they com they combine them basically. Right. Right. Um, and here, yeah, so that's that's a basic idea. Can we just sort of combine somehow the proofs and delay the actual proving to an end stage where also hopefully a more powerful machine is is doing whatever is needed mm -hmm. in the, these end stage, in this end stage. And here, I mean, the term that I think, and I don't know if it was in the original Halo paper, but I know like at least what's been emerging is it's, this is the folding, right? So- Or is uh, folding just another form of accumulation? So I myself, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure on the distinctions between the different terms when, when people f define them formally, uh, but the terms that have been used for, for this kind of, um, I guess I need to choose a word to use this kind of <laughs> aggregation or amortization. People have used terms like accumulation, split accumulation, aggregation, and folding. I'm not sure myself of yeah. the subtle subtleties of, of how people define these formally. I, I think of them as similar. I think I will be doing an episode really soon, probably just on that because I'm curious too. So yeah, just a teaser for a future one. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Well, here, I mean, yeah, this this is, uh, I mean, this is a, 
a rabbit hole or rabbit holes maybe not the word, but this is a, a long topic, including Nova. So I, I don't know if yeah, you, yeah, you want, I want to get into it now. Or no, I want to talk about that later. Should we go to chapter three? Yeah. So I want to talk uh, about that later because I, I mean, one of the things I tweeted this, like I was watching Justin kind of like Nova pill you. And then I heard you got some check pilled and we, have, but I think we should talk about that after. Cause I want to continue on this story that leads us to basically this new generation that you've been working on. Right. The pairing based so, so, protocols. So uh, uh, chap- chapter three, the return of the pairing. <laughs> um, Wait, had the pairing disappeared in chapter two? Well, it hasn't, it wasn't totally disappeared, but it was exiled to, <gasps> uh, to the land of only doing, uh, where you only do polynomial commitments and you're not allowed to be involved in anything else. Okay. Sort of. Okay. Okay. Because, because People are afraid that if they let the pairing get involved in something else, they'll lose the universal setup there. So it was exiled to polynomial commitment uh, Got it. land, maybe. Okay, so this is the return of the, the return pairing. return of the pairing. Wow. Uh, so chapter three, that as I see it, started with a work that was very like... Uh, it was significant for, for me to, to see it. Um, it really shifted like what I've been doing in the last uh, almost year. Uh, this work called Kalk. Yes. And I, I, I'll say a few words about that. But in general, I would say this chapter is about finding a middle ground in, in terms of, okay, we don't have to do everything with a pairing because then, for example, we're, we might lose the universality of the setup, which, which we really, that would be a total deal breaker. Mm. But I mean, maybe let's find a middle ground. Maybe there's things besides the polynomial commitment scheme where the pairing gives us gives us leverage hmm. that we don't get from a generic polynomial commitment scheme. And Kalk was uh, the first paper that, yeah, that really highlighted this. So we did actually, we did an episode with Mary and mm-hmm. I know I'm going to try to, I'll dig that up and add it in the show notes. Cause I know that that was recorded after the Kalk paper. I'm pretty sure we talked about it in there too. But yeah, what was it in, so like, and I always think of Kalk in the lookup table, lookup argument context. Yes. Is that correct to that's do? Total, okay. That's totally correct. So uh, yeah, so here, uh, yeah, we should talk a few minutes about lookups. So, so lookups, uh, yeah, as part of chapter two, uh, were, have been very significant to snarks, right? Look, look up, say, well, instead of explicitly in the circuit computing uh, or checking uh, with a lot of equations some, some relation between the in two witnesses, let's just pre-compute a table of legal input-output values, say, of some function, and then just devise a protocol that can check that, say, two witness values, A, B, appear, appear as a pair is a tuple in, in this table. Yeah. So this has been uh, hugely impactful. Uh, I guess what this did, and actually we also, we have a whiteboard sessions with Mary as well that I'm going to also put in the show notes where we talk about this, but it just, it may, it seems to have made, like if you already have a lookup table, you know, you're looking for these tuples, you don't have to compute them, right? Is it instead of doing computation, you're saving time. You're saving a lot of prover time. Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I would recommend Mary gave a really good talk uh, at this Bar Ilan uh, winter school about uh, lookups. I'll try uh, to recently. Dig- yeah, okay, you cool. Should, I'll you try to find that too. To that. Really good talk. Yeah, so lo- lookups are great, uh, but the lookup protocols we had, uh, they ha- you, you, you paid a price. The, the price was uh, essentially that you had to put the table in 
in the circuit. Mm. Meaning if the, the table had size uh, T, your circuit would grow by, by T. Uh, so I found that so like, I still can't get my head around how you put a lookup table into it. Like, but I've seen <laughs> you write out these like formulas that have L as the lookup table sort of shoved into them. But yeah, I don't, I don't actually know what that's doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, to, to g give a little more detail, you, you do pre-compute the lookup table and, and you could say maybe what you put in the circuit is some randomized combination of the lookup table and the witness uh, with randomness that was chosen by the verifier. Okay. So, so that sort of helps the verifier make sure that the prover is not cheating. This this sort of just proves that you're like using the correct lookup table in a way, right? Like that that you're yeah. The, it, this proves that the witness values that you claim are in the table are really in the table. But yeah, you, or you, you might could, not have all of them in. Is that what you're saying? Like you sort of pick a few of them. The main way the prover would cheat is he would say uh, this uh, pair of witness values A B is in the table, where whereas it's not. Yeah. That 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 would be the main way. Like say it's a table for range proofs. Uh, where A, you know, you're checking that A is in some range 0 to 2 to the 16 and A is actually 2 to the 100. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so you want the prover not to be able to cheat by writing something that's not in the table. But when you talk about how it gets pre-compiled and then put in, mm -hmm. are you putting in all of the values of the lookup table? Yes, yes. Okay, so you are putting, putting all of exactly, them. Exactly, okay. yeah. In the current, so in the second... In the first generation lookup protocols, which there's a, conf it's part of, it's part of the second chapter. <laughs> yeah, so this is chapter two, <laughs> part two, uh, well, lookup part, we tables. Lookup is part one. So yeah, okay, okay. so this first generation of the lookup protocols, you got to get okay, all we, these, we've just moved, we've just moved lookup right. into, because I think it wasn't, but we're going to move lookup then into chapter two, part one. Yeah. Okay. We're moving that in. in okay. Is in chapter. Yeah. It's two part in, one. It's in two part one. Got so it. So the first generation of lookup protocols. <laughs> someone are, should summarize this after. <laughs> it's like we're brainstorming. Oh, movies, someone should make a, a chart. Exactly. Uh, an accompanying chart for the I episode. Think this would be good. Like. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. So you're saying any so lookups in chapter two part one, but all of this sort of like new work into the lookup tables would go into the second part of chapter two, and Kulk would definitely be in. Part two of the chapter two. Kalk, Kalk is no Kalk is the start of chapter three. Oh wow! Okay, okay, okay. It's so, that okay, so, that pivotal. So so Got right. It. So so as I was as I was saying that right the the thing is <laughs> you can only if you use a table of a certain size then your circuit is going to grow by that size um, in these these algorithms like Plookup. Uh, so if you want a circuit of size two to the fourteen and you want to keep your circuit of that size, you're only going to use tables of like size a little less than that. Ah, uh, and if you can only use smaller lookup tables, I guess you can't put that much in. So you're not saving as much. Like you, the, you want to right. put more The larger in, right? tables you can use, the more prover computation you're you going to save. save. Got it. Oh, interesting so, trade-off there. Yeah, so, but this led to the very interesting question. Can I design a lookup protocol where the prover computation does not depend on the table size. Okay. And and this this is what Kalk did. Wow. 
I mean, almost, I mean, okay. they had a little depends on table size that this paper Kalk Plus uh, removed completely. But basically this is this is what Kalk did. It, cool. it totally, uh, almost totally removed the dependence of prover computation on table size, nice. which opens up uh, the, the possibility of using much larger tables. Which then would save more prover time? Save a lot more prover time. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Yeah. And is this where your work starts then? Is this where exactly. you're kind of branching off exactly. from? Exactly. So, so I saw uh, the, the Kalk paper come out like 10 months ago, maybe. And uh, yeah, that totally caught my attention. And so Kalk, uh, it, it, so it made this, uh, this big conceptual leap but it was not totally practical. It was a little of a heavy uh, protocol in terms of the exact like costs. And this led to this uh, kind of fast sequence of papers improving Kalk. So uh, I'll just say the names, it's not too important. It was Kalk Plus, Bal Flookup, Baloo. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and the last one currently in the series is a paper called CQ. I wrote with uh, Liam Egan and Dario Fiore. And I'm, I'm very excited about this CQ protocol because I think, I think this is a truly practical protocol that allows mm. you to use large tables. Let's go into it. So this is, we're in chapter three. This is today. Yes, we're in chapter three. Okay, so CQ. <laughs> CQ. Like the letters. The letters CQ. Okay. <laughs> So just to position it though, is CQ a proving system? CQ is uh, just a lookup protocol, but okay. it can be easily integrated into a, a proving system like Plonk. Right. So it follows the work of Kalk. I'm just trying to think like, what is it that you're actually doing then in CQ that allows for this like larger table inclusion, the lookup tables? Well, I mean, the inherent reason why suddenly you can use much larger tables, you could say it already starts in, in Kalk. So the inherent reason why, why pairings are, are involved here oh. is that, right, we have different um, polynomial commitments. Uh, we, have, we have Fry mm -hmm. and we have, I mean, right, the three big ones KCG. are Fry, Case bulletproof, say, and KZG. Mm. So Fry is the, you could say, the least homomorphic. Like if I have Fry commitment to F, Fry commitment to polynomial G, and I want to get the commitment to F plus G, there's no convenient way to do it. Because they're not similar? Is that why? When you say homomorphic, do you mean like? So homomorphic, I mean that as opposed to Fry, uh, if I look at bulletproofs or KZG, so if I have a commitment to F, commitment to G, now I want to get the commitment to F plus G. It's easier. I just sum, I just sum okay. them. I just take- Is that the e definition? So it's funny, I've talked about fully homomorphic encryption. I've never actually defined <laughs> homomorphic. Well, is, it, is it that you can, like, is it the morphism is similar? Like to change it is similar? Is that what it's kind of, I'm trying to actually get to the definition here, but- so yeah, uh, homomorphic. Okay, so also there's this sort of in terminology that that is like a little f fuzzy. So I, I guess you could, for what I just said, that from the commitment f plus g, some people would call that additively homomorphic. Okay. Yeah, but but they they'll just say homomorphic for short, and and I think what happens is from the context, like 
you you can infer do they mean just additively homomorphic or they mean more like the yeah sort of the word i guess homomorphic it means that you can do operations in two different orders and it doesn't change the result okay so right one way to do you can first sum the polynomials f and g you have that operation of summing the polynomials and then take the commitment mm -hmm. and you're going to get the commitment of f plus g okay and we say like the bulletproofs in kzg are additively homomorphic or you know people for short will just say homomorphic because uh it means that if we do these operations in a in the different order we'll get the same result Got right? it. if we first take the commitment of f take so we first take the commitment and now we sum it would be the same so we get the same result. Yeah. So that's why we say that bulletproofs in KZG are additively homomorphic because the commitment operation, it you could yeah. say people will use the word commutes You can with the addition. Like you can do it before the addition or after the addition and you'll get the, the same. same result. Does, does the Kalk papers and all of the subsequent work rely on that? That it has additive homomorphism? So yeah, so the additive... The, this property of uh, additive ho homomorphicity, if that's Homomor homomorphism, ho I said homomorphism. I don't know. Yeah, if I'm right. The, the property okay. of, of having of being like added additively homomorphic, or yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, the commitment is called. Yeah, would be called in home, a homomorphism. Yeah. But it does need that, like. So definitely. So, okay, okay. so that so they the cannot fact be used the, on the, adi the additive, the additive. Sometimes people will just call this the additivity of the commitment, right? Yeah. Uh, when they don't feel like <laughs> trying to pronounce that word. All the mouthful of hope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that's used. It, it's used in call. I mean, that's like a base requirement, but uh, but it's used in, in Nova. It's used. Uh, um, yeah, the additive homomorphism, homomorphicity. Uh, the mm. additivity is like crucial all over the place uh but but the point is to get calc we're, we're going to use we're going to use something so the additive property being additively homomorphic that also bulletproofs has okay uh what kzg has is it has this because of the pairing it has sort of this partial multiplicative ho homomorphism ah what that let's without fancy terms because maybe i'm not getting the fancy terms right either uh it allows you to, what you just said about adding, you can do with multiplying. So oh, partially. Oh, partially. Okay. So what it allows you to be concrete, what it allows you to do, say now I give you commitments to four polynomials, F1, F2, G1, G2, KZG commitments. Mm -hmm. And now I ask you, is the product of the Fs equal to the products of the Gs? Is like F1 times F2 equal to G1 times G2? So with KZG, you can do that check huh. directly from the commitments. But why is it partially then? Is it because it has to be F with F and G with G, but not F with G? It's partially because I can check if F1 times F2 is equal to G1 times G2, but I cannot actually compute the commitment to F1 times F2. So I have oh. a way to check if they're equal, oh. but I can't actually compute huh. the the commitment to F1 times F2. Okay, so but even with that, how does that relate to the lookup tables? Like why is how that- How does that relate why to Why is the, that good? Um, <laughs> so, okay, so here we come we come to Kalk. So why, so this, so why, why is that good? So this turns out to be 
extremely powerful. Okay. And to give a little detail on it, a big component of, of trying to work with big lookup tables, if you look at, at protocols like Calc and CQ, is that, or a big part of snarks, is you're a lot of times in situations where you want to prove that one polynomial divides another polynomial. Okay. That's all over the place. Now, the standard way you do this is you compute the quotient, what's called the quotient polynomial, meaning simply the second polynomial divided by the first. Mm -hmm. So you just compute it, compute this polynomial, then you compute its commitment, and then you open all these three at a random point and check that the first times the quotient equals the, the second. The thing is, in, in Calc, when we're trying to use a big table, this created a situation where this quotient had huge degree. Mm -hmm. So to actually compute it, would be sort of like having to put the big table in the circuit in terms of the prover cost. But it turned out in Calc that sometimes we have quotients where computing the polynomial is expensive, but actually computing its commitment can be, if you did, if you did the right pre-processing, computing its commitment can be much cheaper than computing the polynomial itself. Okay. So now we're in the situation where we can cheaply compute just the commitment of this quotient. Mm. And then the question is, okay, does this help us? And yeah, it does, because exactly because of what we said, that we can compare yeah. products directly from the commitments in KZG. But you don't have KZG. to compute them. You don't actually have to compute them. You, you just have to yeah. prove that they're the same yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you're doing the same, because like, you had talked about the F1 times F2 times G1 times G2 that would just yeah. be the same. You just prove that they're the same but not know what they are. Yeah, I prove that they're the same without... The thing here, here to, to be totally precise, the thing I don't know, I sort of, I don't know what F2 is. Okay. I, I, know, I don't have F2 in my hand. I only have the commitment of F2 in my hand mm -hmm. because it, it's much cheaper to just compute the commitment of F2 than F2 itself. Okay. And, uh, do you have to make then assumptions of correctness? Like, does, does this, like in that probabilistic, like, is it correct or not? Are you just sort of, does it lower the probability that the lookup table is being used correctly it, uh, in it, any way? It, it doesn't lower it, but what is here, in, you know, used very heavily, and, and this is, uh, is uh, and this is true, uh, you know, for all the snarks based on KZG, to actually conclude that the checks we're doing imply that these products of polynomials are equal, we're heavily using this, this strong cryptographic assumption, the algebraic group model. Uh, so we, we heavily rely on that, but no, but it doesn't like, give, given that we rely on that anyway, anytime we're using KZG, it doesn't reduce the probability that uh, compared to say to Plookup that the, the lookup is correct. I have sort of a, a side question here I wanted to ask for a while, which is when you listed the three polynomial commitment schemes, I think. Fry, Bulletproof, KZG. Does Fry ever use lookup tables or is it just you'd never, you can't? Yeah, so uh, so definitely. So so Polygon Hermes, for example, and others probably too. Yeah, they use Fry with, with lookup tables. The reason they can do this is lookup arguments like Plookup they can work with a generic polynomial commitment. Okay, because they don't rely on this additional additive uh, homomorphism. Yes, they don't rely okay. on it. Plookup doesn't. Plookup just needs a polynomial commitment. Got it. 
So they're doing some part of this lookup table work. They're, they can use part of it, but at some point, like Kulk, they wouldn't be able to go that far with Fry at this point. Exactly. So okay. Yeah. So so the 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 additive actually places where the additive homomorphism is used, you can even even places where it is used, you can um, you can sometimes get around it with losing a little efficiency. Uh, but yeah. Um, but the multiplicative. The multiplicative. It, you couldn't do. Yeah. Is is yeah so so this this was also an interesting uh, fork in the road in Kalk in the sense that like we we had these few years in chapter two where you know you could pick and replace your polynomial commitment scheme as you wanted and here was the first protocol where KZG only allowed. Mm. Uh, <laughs> okay, and bulletproof's also not allowed. Also not allowed because only yeah only okay. when you have KZG is based on pairing and it's only the only one that has this multiplicative property. Interesting. Of course, an interesting, you know, research question has come up with with new PCS that have this multiplicative ability. Huh. So we sort of mentioned the accumulations and this like aggregation. Does the lookup table impact that? Because it feels like a different part. It right? is. It's totally yeah. Exactly. It's it's. I at least I view it as is pretty is pretty orthogonal. Like modular, almost like you yeah. Can, it's pretty modular. Okay. Like, like you you have you'll have your lookup component and you'll have your aggregation, accumulation, folding component. Got and it. Usually they're pretty like independent of each other. Do you think then, so in this story, are we like chapter three? So far, the chapter three that has been described is the lookup table component. But in chapter three, do you think there are other, like, is there an accumulation side that's still being told? Like that story of which accumulation scheme or folding scheme or whatever uh, wins is that unfolding? Because we're, unfold? we're in chapter three, right? <laughs> uh, or is chapter? In, I mean, we're in uh, both <laughs> chapter two point two because people are, are, you know, with the excitement around Nova, people are working very hard on improving aggregation, okay. and they're only using the additive homomorphism, ah. so it, it's fine. <gasps> well, um, so we're both in chapter two point two and chapter three. Okay, that's yeah. exciting though. But that's yeah. what I'm wondering then. Like, is there a fold over on the folding side into <laughs> chapter three eventually? Well, that I mean, that's something honestly I I haven't looked into. Can is there a KZG specific like folding that that is more efficient that yeah. you can only get? I haven't actually researched that. That's a good question. And does Nova or the sum check based stuff, do they work with KZG already? Are they just using that? Or yeah, so they could use it. They could. So, okay. so, so ba yeah, the Nova style stuff, it only, it needs an additive. It crucially needs an additive homomorphism, okay. but not the multiplicative property. Cool. Yeah. Well, I love this story that you just shared. And I do actually welcome people to parse a little bit. Cause like, I think there's a very clear narrative, despite a few of our like side bonus episode explorations or yeah, special features explorations. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so dating myself I, by I referring hope, yeah. to DVD bonus stuff. But. I, I hope people haven't, yeah, haven't got too lost with all the overlapping uh, 2.2 and 3 and the... Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think it's cool. But I now, I mean, so this, you know, we are now like chapter three is on. L like maybe we can go back into the CQ work. Mm -hmm. And is the CQ work finished? And is and where is it going? And what's it for right now? Uh, the CQ work is basically finished. Uh, of course, it's always like uh, nice to keep trying to optimize, save a little 
proof size or verifier work here and there, but I think it's very practical, the form it's in. So my attention, a lot of my attention has shifted to trying to get it used. Uh-huh. And I think where, where it might have a lot of impact is better snarks for nasty functions. So, uh-huh. so we talk a lot about uh, friend, hash snark friendly functions. Uh, I, I like the, the nasty functions, uh, not, not because I don't like friendly things, but uh, I, I think that's where maybe CQ will, will sort of shine most. Um, I what, mean, what's an example of this? So Ketchuk is a really good example, right? So Ketchuk is definitely not a snark-friendly function. It does a lot of uh, crazy bit operations. And it's, uh, you know, it's, heavily, it's heavily used, right? The Ethereum mainnet, it stores data in trees based on Ketchuk's. Okay. Right here, ah. we get we get into the types. Right there's now people are calling. Um, there's type one zkVM and type three zk. I don't know what type two zkVM is, but there's a two point five two. But there's a two point five two. No, there's a two point five as well. Oh, there's a, <laughs> okay. Maybe I'm, there's a two point two. I'm glad we're not the only <laughs> ones having all these. Uh, no, yeah, there's definitely some some ad additions on that right. one. Okay, uh, but you're saying so it's in the, in that context. So like mm-hmm. in the roll-up context, it might actually be interesting. Uh, well, in the zk EVM uh, context, for example, when when you want to do what's called a type one zk EVM, so you want to like fully simulate, uh, fully validate what's going on in mainnet, because the the state in Ethereum is stored in in trees with Ketchuk hashes. You you have to do end up doing a lot of Ketchuk hashes in in your circuit. Mm. Uh, also, what what Axiom is trying to to do now that allow you to sort of access historic Ethereum data in your s- smart contracts. Um, that ends up like proving this historical data is correct. Like a lot of their cost is is Ketchuk's. And these are all nasty functions. Well, the Ketchuk, yeah, Ketchuk is the, the nasty function. Why would CQ be useful for a nasty function? Then yeah. is it? Is it because you use lookup table exactly. tables more it's efficiently? Not, it's not, yeah, it's not, it's just um, because usually when you have nasty functions in the sense of a lot of <laughs> bitwise operations rather than like field operations, uh, that's where lookups make the biggest difference. And the bigger the bigger table you have, the more efficiency gain uh, you can get. And, and CQ simply allows you to use, use bigger tables. Cool. Yeah. Has this been implemented? Is that sort of like your current, like when you're you're saying like you're looking to find uses, is it like te- you're kind of like, hey, teams, do you want to try using this and implementing so, it or are you going to implement it? So, uh, I, I mean, I, hopefully I'll write a few lines of code at least. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, I am trying to collaborate with uh, better coders than uh, than me. <laughs> so what was really nice is uh, Andrea uh, from the uh, geometry team. Yeah. He implemented CQ pretty much the night the paper came out. Wow. <laughs> that must be so exciting to see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he implemented over it over ArcWorks. And uh, I mean, I'm interested. And I think also he and, and other people uh, from Geometry and maybe other teams are, are trying to get CQ into Halo 2. Mm. I mean, right here is a side note right there's this whole interesting subject of what like sort of snark library like plonkish library will end up sort of dominating mm-hmm. uh 
like a, a Polygon Hermes and uh, Jordy's uh, PIL language looks looks really nice. Uh, but so I'm wondering how things will converge. But right now it seems like the mass of developers is around uh, Halo 2. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah. The way that sort of Mindshare circles around some of these ideas is so fascinating. It's mm -hmm. like... I think it has, there's certain groups that will champion certain proving systems and then you'll get tooling being developed really quickly. And it's sort of fascinating to see like which ones are picked up and which ones are picked up less. Yeah. And I mean, looking back to that snark timber at that time, you were also seeing that because there was all these proving systems coming out all at once. And I think what we can now look back and say like Plonk kind of like dominated that. But it's hard to, when you look now, like here in Montenegro and where like Justin mm -hmm. and all these folks are here, Nova's the the talk of the town, Yeah, which is sort of a continuation on Halo, but not Halo's exactly, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's it's in this general theme of aggregation, accumulation, but but I wouldn't say it's directly connected to, to, to Halo. Halo. But yeah, yeah but, I, but right now Halo yeah. too. But I like to is, say a word now, now that I... I mean, uh, just before we we get into that, that yeah, there was what, what was interesting. I remember being at ZK Summit Seven, and there was this maybe convergence on Plonk as a proving system. But I I really remember then feeling like there were fifteen different Plonk Im implementations, and there was zero convergence on that, and there were potentially a lot of like duplicate efforts. Yeah, and yeah, and you know, a year's passed, maybe more or less, and it seems like on the library side there is maybe some convergence on halo 2 mm -hmm. though i'm yeah i'm interested to see how what will happen with that yeah i want to talk before we sign off on some other works just floating around so we've mentioned nova and i know you had some when i first brought it up or when justin first brought it up to you you were like oh this already already exists. I know this from before. So I wanted to talk a little bit about sort of your thoughts on Nova and then some of the competing models, or I don't know if they're completely competing, but these other sort of streams of research happening. So let's start on the Nova side. Has your mind been changed? Are you Nova pilled? Um, I'm <laughs> semi Nova pilled. I'm uh, I'm not sure what I am because I, I was Nova pilled a few days ago, very okay. successfully. But then uh, Zach from Aztec, some check pilled me and <laughs> now countered the, and now I don't know if I'm just back to normal or. Uh, uh, one pill makes you higher, one pill brings yeah, you down. Yeah, so I don't know if like, I'm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, but so, so this is something interesting, like Nova, the paper came out almost a year ago, I think. Uh -huh. um, and for me, at least it's really just popping up more recently in what people are talking about in our channels and stuff like that. But you mentioned when Justin was at least trying to Nova pill you that there was another paper, an earlier paper that you thought this was like kind of directly taking from. Talk a bit about that maybe. Right. So let me, um, yeah, say a few words about what, what I think are the basic ideas here, right? So we say we, we want to aggregate or fold claims instead of, ha and, and then only like do one proof at the end. Yeah, let me get just a little technical. So to be concrete, say like say the claim we want to prove is A times B is equal to C. Mm -hmm. Right. So the simple sort of the simple aggregation that is in a sense already happening in a lot of code bases, uh 
is say, and now say I have a lot of these claims. So I want to prove A1, B1 equals C1, A2, B2 equals C2, and so forth. The simple aggregation is say actually the all the Bs are the same. So it's A1, B equals C1, A2, B equals C2, and mm. so forth. And actually this is sort of a situation that that sometimes is, comes up. In that case, there's something very simple I can do. I can take what's called a random linear combination of all the A's. I can take a random linear combination of all the C's. And then I can just check, is the random linear combination of the A's times the B equal to the same random linear combination of the C's? So this is a common idea it happens in the halo two aggregation and the code already. And um, yeah. Okay. But now the question is, all right, what if the B's are different? It's like uh. a one B one equals C one a two B two equals C two. And the B's are different. So the naive thing you could try is, all right, let's try the same thing. Let's check is the random linear combination of the a times the random linear combination of the B equal to the random linear combination of the C. And this doesn't totally work because when this random linear combination of the A times the random linear combination of the B is except the terms we want, like A1 times B1 and A2 times B2, it's going to have a lot of these cross terms. It's going to have A1 times B2. Oh, okay. So sort of the idea that was, that was floating around in in uh, papers for, for a, a decade. Um, though, yeah, I'll say that I've, I've been a champion of this one, one paper, a Boodle, Chiruli, Haido, Scrot, Petit, zero-knowledge arguments in discrete log setting, that this is the pa paper where this idea started, but then I saw that they actually, they say, oh, it's similar to some, some this bear Grot paper. Oh, even earlier. That Grot actually comes plong, up again. The Plong permutation okay. com comes from, so, so uh -huh. actually the attribution, I, I've been a, you know, Argument with people about attribution, but I see actually the attribution is, is a little complicated, um, maybe. Yeah, but any, but the basic idea also in Nova and here is, yeah, we're going to have a lot of these cross terms. But the thing is, the, the cross term is going to be like something fixed times this randomness we chose for the random linear combination. And in fact, if we just let the prover the fixed thing, just commit to it in advance and we choose the randomness later, even, even though we're letting him commit to something totally arbitrary, this is what's called the error term, uh, mm. or sometimes it's called the slack term in, in these papers. I think it's called the error term in the Nova paper. Even though we let the prover, like it's you have an equation that, that the verifier is trying to check and, you, and now we're letting the prover add a totally arbitrary error term to, to balance out this equation. So, so this seems like mm. definitely the prover can cheat. But it turns out that since we're having him commit to this error term and only later multiplying it by the randomness we, we chose for the for these combinations, the prover can't cheat. Is it because you because you're multiplying it by randomness, it means the prover can never engineer it to be corrupted? Like be, because there's this like extra step, they like it wouldn't be able to figure it out beforehand. Yeah, because the randomness multiplies the error term and the error term was chosen without knowing the randomness. Okay. The prover can't engineer a, a fake proof. Got it. Well, that's uh, a cool technique. But is that new to Nova or has that always been there in all of this work? 
So this was used uh, in this Boodle et al. paper, which attributes something similar to the Bayer Grot paper. And the Bulletproofs gave a paper, gave a, a much more simple form of this than the Boodle et al. paper. And yeah, but but the form in Nova is, is a little different. So yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. As mentioned, I want to do a full episode on Nova, but just quickly, kind of like, what is the the trick to Nova? What's it adding on those works, maybe? Or what's it doing different? Uh, no, Nova is adapting this technique to R1CS. Ah, and the other, oh, because the other ones were bulletproof more, or like, or nothing. I guess the previous work had not had a specific setting yeah. or like. Yeah, so Nova like, is adapting this uh, this to R1, to R1CS. But then is, that's interesting. Is Halo R1CS? Because remember we talked in chapter two that like we were kind of leaving a bit of the R1CS model behind, weren't we? To get the Planckish arithmetization. Well, right. So so that's why since people are using Planckish arithmetization, that's why uh, sort of after Nova, uh, people have oh, adapted this technique I see. to to Planckish arithmetization. And this is what's happening in, in in Sangria or Supernova. I think tries to as well. Maybe I'm not totally sure. Yeah, okay, we'll leave that one. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, for sure in Sangria it is. Yeah, yeah, relaxed Planck. Yeah, relaxed. <laughs> that's what the word. <laughs> that's where the name comes from. Um, we had Nico on just recently. Yeah. Okay, so that's interesting. So it's the implementation of this concept for R1CS. And now because it's been done, I guess there's this like, oh, can we also implement the same kinds of techniques yeah, further on? So Nova has really brought into the you know, mm. general awareness this this idea that you can you can aggregate sort of arbitrary non-linear equations, like mm. right, in in for example, this A1 times B1, where also A and B are, they're different every time. You can start to do it because of this error addition, just because it's just showing that the prover can't act maliciously. Yes. Interesting. Yes, yes. Wow. What about, okay, what about the sum check pill? Is All right. So, so, so this is a really cool uh, technique, but right, we have to, I think it's still to be figured out how much it exactly gives you versus other techniques. So so there's a little this this feeling that oh we don't have to prove anything. We just fold. We just we just fold and and we just prove in the end. But uh I mean when you really get in down to the details you you have to okay what is the cost of this folding and compared to the cost of the proving, right? That's mm. that's what you're saving. So yeah, so indeed, and, and that's what I've been thinking a lot these last few days because everybody here is is talking about uh, Nova. So really, a few days ago, where I was I was Nova pilled. I, I had so there's this this error term you have to compute, mm -hmm. and I had this idea in my head that there's some FFT involved in computing this error term. And then we were yeah we were talking with Justin. And Justin was like, no, there's no FFT involved. And I was like, of course. How else are you gonna? And then I, I realized it was more efficient than I. Thought. Okay. And uh, yeah, and, and I, I was no, Nova-pilled to, to, um, to a degree. Um, yeah, but like when I, I sort of did a rough computation with myself, I, I sort of came to the feeling that for, say, standard Planck, like it would give you the cost of folding would be like 20% of the cost of the full proving. I see. 
So it's the uh, folding starts to, it's like on the proving part. Is that actually on the proving part? Does it basically, does the folding add to the computation somehow? Right. That so what exactly, so or, say we, we have like, uh, we want to prove a thousand Planck proofs and, and we want to just fold them and just do one proof in the end. And mm -hmm. we want to use uh, Sangria or, so what do you have to do for each instance? So you need to, the main thing is, at least when your circuit is big and then other costs become negligible, your main cost is exactly computing. Well, first of all, you have to, you do have to commit to what's called your witness polynomials. That you do in a regular Planck proof and you also do when you're just folding a Planck statement. In both cases, you need to commit to the witness polynomials. Uh, and then what is the additional thing you need to do when you're folding? You need to compute and commit to the error terms. Mm. And that also requires something like that that's taking some time or that. Yeah, that requires that requires some some work. OK, so you're doing that work. And what is what are you what are you saving? So the main thing that you're saving, at least the main thing that you're saving that you can't save with with simpler aggreg aggregation techniques is computing and committing to the quotient polynomial. So mm. Because you don't need to compute the quotient polynomial, in, indeed, uh, like I found out a few days ago, you have no FFTs. So you saved all the FFTs, which can be sometimes like 50% of the roughly 50%. So you've saved 50%. Cool. And also you've saved this part of, of committing to the quotient polynomial. Mm. And sort of my estimate was with, you're going you're gonna to go down to 20, 25% of the work you did for full proving. So that's a, it's going to be a four X, five X factor. It's pretty nice. Uh, what happened uh, yesterday when I was uh, some check pilled. <laughs> I'll see which one sticks in the long run on here, yeah. but okay. <laughs> uh, was that I understood from Zach that actually maybe if you simply, right. Cause there, uh, there's another big way to avoid FFTs. Ah. And that, that this was very, very much highlighted in the hyperplonk paper. Instead, is to use the Samchik protocol. Mm. The Samchik protocol avoids all FFTs like, like the folding does. Mm. So it saves you that 50%. It saves you that, that 50%. And then you don't have to do the folding and then the... And, and you do not have to commit, commit to these error terms. Okay. Is the error so, terms the most heavy? More so than the folding? Or is it can, the same thing? So when the circuit is large, there's other factors having to do with the folding. When the circuit is large enough, so the, the computing the error term is, I think, the most significant cost. And there's here this other topic of the degree of your constraint, the mm -hmm. degree of your gates. So for example, you know, Nova worked for RNCS, the, the degree of the constraint is only two. But people sometimes like using high degree gates, degree gates of say uh, degree five, degree six, degree. That's one thing that's highlighted in the Hyperplonk paper that it's it's very compatible with high degree gates. And the thing is, when you generalize uh, Nova, say to Sangria or to to high degree gates, um, if you use degree D constraints of degree D, you're going to have to commit to D minus one mm. error terms. And that's sort of like the same time to 
that in a regular Planck proof takes you to commit to the quotient polynomial. Mm. So it's like you've saved the FFT work, yeah, that 50%, but you haven't maybe, especially if you're gonna, you will wanna use Heidegger gates, you haven't saved the commitment time because committing to these error terms is as expensive as coming to the quotient. And here we come to the, uh, an important point is in the sum check approach, you both save the FFTs and there's not really something like that sure. to commit to. There. Is there any way to do both at the same time? Are they too different? So that's something that should be explored. And I think people are exploring it. I think it's called hypernova where they're trying to. Oh. <laughs> um, and yeah, and I, we still need to see where, where these things will land. Oh. And this also relates to the question, will people want to use high degree gates? Mm. Is it useful or not? Or is it not that big a deal to use de only degree gates of degree two or three? Interesting. So... There is there is a world after talking about this yesterday uh, with Zach. I think there there is a world where some check will sort of make Nova slash Sangria type aggregation less less of a big thing. Mm. Um, but or maybe they're used in combo. This is yeah. this is the writing of chapter three. I guess. Well, this is this I would say is chapter this whole aggregation stuff. I I would put it in chapter two point two because it it doesn't rely on on this KZG only multiplicative okay. thing. Yeah. Yet. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> Yet. All right. Ariel, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us this journey through the chapters to today. And also your thoughts on some of this new stuff. It's definitely, you know, very exciting. And I, I want to, as mentioned, do a Nova deep dive, maybe do a sum check deep dive again. I mean, we, so I know, uh, as far as I understand, Justin Thaler is like championing this as well. I don't know if we covered it that much in the episode I did with him this year, but yeah, it might be fun to explore it again. Yeah, I guess some check you every time you think it's gone out of fashion, it's already it's from the nineties, but <laughs> keeps coming its back. Head. Okay. Rears its head. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Thanks, Ariel. <laughs> Thanks, Anna. Thanks for coming on again. So I want to say thank you to the podcast team, Tanya, Henrik, and Rachel, and to our listeners. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.